the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And believe it or not, we are back from our 167-hour hiatus, which means we didn't do anything for the last, basically, week. I am joined today by Lorna Hunter. She is a native from Minnesota and a farm girl with a lifelong interest in science and nature. Her education focused heavily on the scientists, but when she joined MUFON and began to seriously delve into the mysteries of ufology, she added science to the of the mind to her curriculum and is currently pursuing a degree in psychology. She's working as a UFO investigator and uh, being an objective skeptic led her to take a course in criminal investigation and evidence preparation, which uh, in turn led to a job as a death investigator and eventually to becoming a member of TIPS. Uh, she says she is honored now to be working with a team that allows me to take my investigations into life's greatest mysteries one step further. I introduce Lorna Hunter. Lorna, are you there? Hello, Kevin. Uh, you are there. I thought for a minute you'd skipped out on me. <laughs> I was just listening to the intro, I, you know, daunting. Well, it's what you sent me, so, uh, <laughs> or, 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 or sent to me, I, I suggested I go to, I suppose. Uh, I, going into this, I mean, we delve into ufology here mostly, but I noticed that uh, you also do paranormal investigations, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but you've been involved in some of the, um, I guess, biggest UFO cases in Minnesota, or at least know about some of the biggest cases, <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, UFO cases in Minnesota, one of them known as the Tin Can Man, which you kind of alerted me to, uh, was it last summer or the summer before? I forget. Uh, yeah, 2015, two years oh, ago already. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe that. Uh, can you give us just 
briefly uh, a sketch of Tin Can Man, and I ask you this because we're going to have to take a break here shortly, so be aware of that. Tin Can Man. Okay, October 23rd, 1965, a young man was coming home to Long Prairie, and his car stopped, and on the road in front of him was what he described as a spaceship, looked like a rocket, and more very frightening than the spaceship was that there were three little creatures underneath the ship that he described as tin cans with legs. So that's why it's called the tin can, or a lot of people call it the beer can, alien spaceship, because that's the size the little critters were. So you're saying they're about six inches tall? Yeah. And they In were the moving? shape of a pop can or beer can. Yeah. And and they were moving around under their own volition. Yes, they were on okay. little uh, matchstick. He called it matchstick legs. And what happened after he his car stopped? He saw the uh, rocket ship, and it, and it looks from the illustration looks kind of like the classic V two rocket with sitting on the fins and the whole kit and caboodle there. Um, what happened after that? Well, after a few minutes, they disappeared up by underneath inside the rocket ship and it uh, took off and disappeared. Did they uh, climb and up the ladder? started back up and it doesn't say. It just okay. says they, you know, disappeared up inside of it and I uh, don't recall any mention of any ladder. Okay, and when when he says his car started again, it started uh, by itself or did he, could he now start it? You know, it, it doesn't say that and that's one of the classical, um, sightings of the era, the electromagnetic effect where everyone said, well, when the UFO came over, my car stopped, and then when it was gone, it started back up again. But nobody ever says if they physically cranked it or if it started on its own. Well, that, when we that get, is when, always left out of all the reports. When we, get, when we come back in just a few minutes, uh, I'm going to explore that a little bit because I did a survey of uh, Mark Rodiker's book on electromagnetic effects on the cars because that was a question I had. And I was able to come up with a bit of an answer. We will be back uh, with Lorna Hunter at, uh, in just a few minutes. And we'll have more information about all of this information at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And I'm going to take a moment and suggest that uh, you all take a look at Roswell in the 21st Century, which you can find on Amazon as an ebook or whatever you want. But we will be back in just a few minutes. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? 
Well, now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere, Florida. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine such as hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining rooms can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you visit, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic downtown Felsmere. Or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, Old Florida cuisine at its best. And we are back with Lorna Hunter, who is a Minnesota ufologist and an investigator of the paranormal. And we'll try to get that 
to that uh, in a little while. When we went away, I had asked a question about whether the guy had to start his car or whether or not it started spontaneously. And Lorna said to me during the break, you said? I Lorna? said I ran, read through the report quick, and I found where it says that he says the car started by itself, um, and I, I did not have to touch the starter. But previously, after it had stopped, he was trying to start it. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! <laughs> yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. And nothing would happen. But once okay. the UFO left and was about, he says, about a mile high and out of sight, the car started spontaneously, and the light oh, came back on. Okay. Uh, the reason I asked that question is during the Condon Committee, and the Condon Committee, of course, for the listeners, was the University of Colorado study of, the, um, of UFOs for the Air Force, and they had discounted the electromagnetic effects. Uh, they'd looked at one case, I think, that happened while they were on, and they could not come up with a, a reason why if you suppressed an electrical field with a large magnetic force, that the car would then spontaneously start. They could understand how it would suppress the uh, flow of electrons, I guess, to the lights and fill the radio with static, but they couldn't understand why the car would start. And because of that, I looked some stuff up, and I went through Mark Rodiker's report on the electromagnetic effects that he had uh, put together of all the cases where cars were cars or equipment, uh, machinery, had been stopped by close approach of UFOs. And that was the one thing I, I, I found, that oftentimes it would say uh, when the UFO was gone, the car started. But there were many cases where they specifically said once the UFO was gone, I could start the car. And so I'm thinking that in the vast majority of the cases, the, the driver took some action to start the car. So it's not that the electromagnetic field is suppressing the... Um, engine and and then it spontaneously sort of starts again but the the driver actually starts the car so that was a, that was a key point and, and i'm glad we were able to clear that up on the tin can man were there other witnesses i yes. wondered about that are there other witnesses to this sighting not to the actual craft or the little creatures themselves there were several other reports um, in the area that night of bright lights that were seen, you know, in various places. Some hunters, coon hunters were out and saw bright lights. Um, there was supposedly some reports which we have not been able to verify or track down going north and east away from the area that it was seen in, of power going out in houses as it passed over houses. The people's power would go out, they'd go outside and look, and this bright light was passing over. And after it got over the house, their power came back on. So again, 
the electromagnetic med, magnetic effect suppressing their power supply. You know, I don't know, but supposedly you could track the path of the UFO by the power outages that night, which is, you know, something I have not been able to verify. But that I've heard that from a couple of different people who were alive and in town at the time that this happened. Well, this kind of harkens back to the uh, Leveland sightings from 1957, where we had a lot of people in different locations around Leveland, Texas, reporting the object. And as they approached the object, the object approached them, their uh, car engines died, their radios filled with static, their their lights went out, and then when the object was gone, and I, in, in a number of the cases here, it also mentioned that the person actually took some action to start the car again or start their vehicle. But there were people in, I think, 13 locations around uh, Leveland, Texas, which is right next door to Lubbock, for those of you who are visualizing a map. Um, but I've never heard anything like this where the, the object was sitting on the ground uh, in a highway, on a highway, uh, stopped one of the cars, stopped the car, and then as it after, after it left, you could kind of track the uh, the progress of it through its suppression of electrical systems in various locations. Um, and you say you have not been able to verify that, but you've heard it from some other people. Right. Which, yes, it would be a wonderful case if we could verify that. But um, from 50 years ago, how do we verify that? I'm sure the power company, if the power was out and came back on, they're not going to have records of it. Um, the sheriff's department didn't have records because nothing was you know digitized or put on computers or anything back then oh we've thrown all that stuff away you know i said do you have the report that was filed that night and they looked at me like i was crazy no you know we, that would that would all be gone I said, okay you know it was worth a shot because i would have liked to have seen the original sheriff's report because the young man did drive right into long prairie and go directly to the sheriff um, scared out of his wits. The sheriff verified that even several years later when uh, we were looking into it for MUFON. Um, so yeah, he said, poor kid was white as a sheet. Was there, was there any residue left on the highway when the craft took off? Did anybody notice anything like that? Um, I have some reports that there were three lines of possibly an oily substance on the road, I have a report of a young man who went out with his grandpa and said there was like concentric circle cracks in the tar in a concentric circle form. Um, again, it's not back in the day. They didn't go out and investigate this with forensic science like we would do today. It's okay, big deal. I'm sure nobody went out and marked the spot off exactly and nobody knew who all the onlookers who went out later and looked had no clue where exactly it happened, right? Um, I think the gentleman that you talked to said that the sheriff's son mentioned that uh, someone had come up and gone out with a Geiger counter. And that uh, was news to me until he uh, contacted the newspaper last year and talked about the sighting. Well, you know, what's interesting about some of these old cases, and I, and I realize that, that oftentimes the investigation was left to private UFO researchers. Uh, that they, the Air Force, the Air Force ignored cases if they weren't directly reported to them, and I found documentation in the Blue Book files where they've actually said that, uh, written to, written back to somebody who queried about a case and said, "Well, this was not part of the Blue Book system; it was not reported to us," so that they didn't bother to to go out and and look at it. Although they might have collected newspaper clippings uh, about the sighting and that sort of thing, but. Um, 
I am surprised that if you can get a hold of some of the old records, what you can learn about that, and I, I say that because of some of the research I've done in the Socorro case recently, but interesting, there was a report out of Roswell that they had packed the bodies, the alleged bodies in dry ice, and uh, we went to one of the um, ice houses in, in Roswell that had a history going back uh, into almost to the, the turn of the last century, and we couldn't find records for 1947, but we found them for like 1928, and 1929, and 1930. Oh, wow. So, so it's really kind of haphazard. And, and the, the point is, you know, you have to kind of go look for this stuff. Um, and and it, it kind of comes to my mind. Did you look in uh, the local newspapers that maybe would suggest power outages that have been reported in specific areas, or? Um, and if it was kind of really localized, there might not even be a report in the newspaper. But had you had you thought about looking, try, trying to track it that way? I went through the entire newspaper of the day that it was reported. It was front page news on the one newspaper. I went through the previous weeks. I went through the following week's newspaper looking for sheriff's reports. Because today, a reporter goes up to the courthouse and sits down at the computer and writes down all the sheriff's reports. Right? Every incident that comes in gets written down, and it's the news for the next week's newspaper. There were no sheriff's reports. The only thing reported was this UFO. So there were no sheriff's reports written down in the newspapers. And again, I going through, paging through every page of the newspapers prior and after, and the weeks after, I didn't see anything else either. It's just the one newspaper that had anything about it in it. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes it just doesn't work, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, and, and you kind of, well, we're lucky that we physically, we physically had the copies of the newspapers. I didn't have to go through the fish and look at them, but you know, <laughs> it's easier for me to scan a whole page of a newspaper than to try to look through a fish, but fish machine. Well, I, I know that you were a MUFON member. This was 1964 and I'm not, uh, I don't think MUFON officially got. I'm sorry, 65, but I'm not sure MUFON got organized until after that, so there wouldn't be anything in the MUFON right. records. Right. But no, what about no. what about NICAP or APRO, uh, NICAP being the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, and I know you know that, and uh, APRO being the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization with Coral and Jim Lorenzen as, as the uh, directors of that organization. And Did you look at their uh, their newsletters to see if there was anything about it in there? No, that's what you're here for, to remind me to do that. Um, <laughs> the information that we have, and I thought one of the reports that I had came from NICAP, um, and I could be mistaken because I have it on our website as the original NICAP report. Um, the one report, and I know you've seen it, it, the top of it says U.S. Air Force Technical Information. So does that mean that this um, Project Blue Book came out and talked to these people and took that information down? How would have that guy have gotten this 10-page form to fill out? Well, the Air Force, Air if, Force. If, if somebody reported it to the Air Force, um, one of their techniques was simply to send, I think it was Air Force Form uh, 117 to them, which is this long, stupid report, uh, seven or eight or nine or ten pages, um, yeah. about yeah. the sighting. And, and one of the things they do is a little bit of narration of the sighting. So if the Air Force, if somebody reported it officially to the Air Force, meaning somebody had called an Air Force base and said there was this UFO sighting, then they would have, at a minimum, 
sent the report form. And, and if you look at through the Project Blue Book files, you'll find some of them say Air Force Form 1711 not completed. So they just closed the case's insufficient data. Um, and if they did an investigation, there will be a case file and a, and a card on it and probably say something about psychological since he's reporting yeah. little creatures that are six inches tall running around loose. Uh, it said Venus. One of the reports said Venus. Project 10073 record. Uh, form FTD. Yeah, this is the same form as the... Yeah, so it was reported to the Air Force then, and then they did... Uh, conclude yeah. conclude that sort of thing. Uh, the Air Force wasn't really big on occupant reports, creature reports. Um, there were very few of them that they actually investigated. Alani Zamora being one, there was uh, one in um, Nevada. No, that, 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 there, there were three reports in the Project Blue Files where they saw creatures and they were unidentified. Uh, one in Kansas and one in uh, Oklahoma and Texas, I believe, is where they were. Um, so they did get reported to the Air Force then. But this isn't the only spectacular case that was in Minnesota. You had the, uh, was it Lars Johnson case? The um, um, police yeah, officer who... who <laughs> well, he's a police officer that uh, claimed something hit his car and there was physical damage yeah, to the car. Yeah, I think yeah. it's in a museum now. Uh, are you Val familiar? Johnson. Yes, Val Johnson. Yep, Val Johnson. Yep, yep, and those cars in the museum. And that one is quite... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is... We have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Interesting. Uh, well, let me, let me break in. Let me, the one who gave me. let me break in here and say the museum is where? Do we know? Uh, Stephen, Minnesota. I believe it's Warren County. There's a Warren, Minnesota, and there's a Stephen, Minnesota. They're both up in the very northwestern 
corner of Minnesota, north of Grand Rapids. Um, and I believe it's the Warren County Museum. Okay. Well, let's... If you, let's... If you Google... Yeah, if you, let, if let... you Google Deputy Val Johnson Car Museum, it, it will come up. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, we'll, we'll uh, discuss the Val Johnson case a little bit and maybe move off into paranormal activity as well. I am joined by Lorna Hunter here on A Different Perspective on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. And you might want to take a look at uh, xzbn.net, which uh, will lead you to the website. And you can take a look at some of the other programs uh, on the network that uh, probably have interest uh, for you as well. We will be back right after these messages, and remember, you can get more... Hi, everyone. Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on Internet streaming. Everybody has heard about Internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the Internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. 
Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. have returned with Lorna Hunter. Lorna, do you have a website you'd like to mention while I'm thinking about it here? Yes, my uh, Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group is lacig.org, and there's a link actually to all these cases in Minnesota on the events page. You'll have to scroll down a ways because we did a radio show. We did a meeting on the the Minnesota UFOs. Back in 2013, it looks like, but it's on the page. All the links are there to the Tin Can Aliens, to the Val Johnson event, a um, bunch of other pages that show Minnesota and uh, UFO, historical UFO reports. Bigfoot okay. in Minnesota, Ghost in Minnesota. Okay. Now, we were, we were mentioning Deputy Val Johnson when, when, I, when I went insane, apparently, uh, and took a break. But uh, can you give us some of the details of of that case? Um, this was in Marshall County, Minnesota. So I was wrong. I said Warren County, but it's, the towns are Warren and Stephen. Um, it's Marshall County. Uh, it was August 27, 1979, 1.40 a.m., when uh, Deputy Val Johnson called into dispatch. There was a bright white light. Uh, that he could see in the distance. He thought perhaps an airplane had crash-landed. He didn't know what it was. He was going to check it out. Um, the next time when he called in, he uh, had been hit. He had just, you know, woken up um, from a crash. His vehicle had been hit. Um, Fourteen minutes were uh, missing from both his watch and from his cruiser clock, dash clock. Um, he was, his eyes were burnt. Um, they described it as like having welder burns to his eyes. Um, the windshield was cracked. There was a lot of damage to the car. Cracked windshield, uh, front headlights out, antennas bent, um, dents in the hood. Um, the trunk antenna, the officer was unconscious, burns to his eyes, dash clock in his watch, 14 minutes, small hole in the speedometer glass inside. Um, the car had continued. They could see the tracks 
on the road that he must have applied the brakes, the car had skidded down the road hundreds of feet after the impact. Uh, skid marks for 100 feet with right angle turn into the ditch. So he ended up in the ditch uh, unconscious after seeing this white ball of light. Well, when you, you say there was missing time, essentially, which is one of the hallmarks of an abduction case, is is this, uh, did anybody explore that avenue, I suppose? Uh, I don't think so. I have never seen anything that said that it was, and I'm sure he was not uh, going to be amenable to that. So he's got the missing time, but but no research has been done into that. Well, I, and, and um, I can understand why yeah, he would 14, want to do that. 14 minutes, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that a number of cases of, of police officers who were involved in kind of UFO reports have seen their careers kind of collapse because of that, a ridicule factor and that sort of thing. Did that happen to him? Uh, was there any ridicule involved in this? I'm sure there was. What I know of him is uh, when I was taking the criminal investigations class, there was a gentleman in my class from Park Rapids, and his secretary was Val Johnson's cousin. And she said, you do not mention it to him. He will not talk about it. He wants to hear nothing about it. You know, that's interesting. That's the same thing. That was the same thing with Lonnie Zamora uh, in the Socorro case. I had a friend, Bob Cornett, and he was down there at the very large array, that big radio telescope uh, operation out uh, just west of uh, Socorro. I was thinking of it as a whopping huge array, but it's the very large array. And he, because he was there, he called Zamora, and Zamora said, well, you can come over. We're having a barbecue and uh, have some barbecue with us, but don't talk, I don't want to talk about the flying saucer. And so Zamora would not talk about it. So I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, I know a number of police officers who had reported UFOs soon left their their job as police officers because of that uh, sort of thing. And I'm not sure it's it's uh, it's related directly to the UFO sighting, but it's the reaction of the people around them to the UFO sighting. And that's kind of what you're suggesting here, isn't it? Right, right. But they kept the car. You know, if the county, if they're going to ridicule him, why did they keep the car? You know, why, why do they still have the car in the museum? Well, did he finish out his right? occupation? So he must have had a little bit of support. Did he Did he retire from the police force, or did he eventually quit and take another job? I do not know. And I don't know. Um, I, it, we should maybe mention that the gentleman who saw the uh, little tin can aliens and the rocket ship sitting on the ground, uh, nobody's been able to find him. Um, other, several other UFO researchers have been looking for him, and no one knows what happened to him. So, if, you know, they don't want to be found and they don't want to talk about it. I guess they just disappear. But we're not the only suggesting thing that I have on the Val Johnson. Well, I'm not suggesting that he, you know, died or, you know, may, might have changed his name or something, but the one, I know the one from the Tin Can Alien sighting, had, uh, his parents had been contacted and they said that the Air Force had contacted them and told them not to talk about it. But we're not suggesting anything nefarious here. The guy just got tired of talking about no. UFOs and decided no. to, to go right. away. If you don't want to be found, yeah, you're not going to be found. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the problem... One of the problems with UFO research and, and people who pay attention to it 
Uh, and when something like that happens, they always assume some kind of a conspiratorial aspect to it, suggesting the guy has disappeared uh, because he saw the UFO. And, and then I guess there is a causal relation there, but it's not that he, the government disappeared him or the men in black got him. It's just he didn't right. want to talk about this anymore, and it may have impacted his job. Right. It may have impacted his family life. And um, the guy in Alabama who took the picture of the alien, uh, Greenhaw, I think his name was, uh, eventually kind of did the same thing, uh, decided to not talk about it anymore and go away. So, uh, you know, that, and that's kind of an interesting aspect of this when you think about it, that people who see UFOs and then report them officially, um, Find that find themselves the the uh, I guess the butt of jokes and the victims of ridicule, and that kind of turns them off to helping researchers, and it kind of uh, turns other people off to uh, reporting that. And I, I think mainly of air, airline pilots, uh, Air Force pilots. If you see a UFO, then suddenly your uh, abilities and your credibility is is questioned, and you find your uh, in the air, in the military, you might find your career derailed. In the airline industry, you might find yourself grounded. And we know of a number of cases where pilots have reported UFOs and found themselves grounded after that. So I can kind of understand that. But um, Deputy Johnson, he just he saw a light. Did he see a craft of any kind, or was it just a light coming at him? Just a ball of light coming at him. Um, he- Did he? The interesting thing in the car, if you've seen pictures of the car, I have not been up to see it yet. That's on my list of to-do um, things to do. It's about a five-hour drive from where I'm at, so that's why it hasn't gotten done yet. And you need to make an appointment. The museum is only open certain days of the week. Um, but there's one headlight, headlight on one side of the car that was broken, uh, a circular dent on the hood. The windshield was shattered, which was... Uh, inspected by Ford Motor Company, inspected the windshield, and they said it had been pushed in and sucked back out. Um, Circular roof emergency light was broken. The roof antenna was bent. The trunk antenna was bent, and they're not not a 45-degree, 60-degree angle. Um, What Ted Phillips said when he saw the car was that the bends in the antennas still had bugs on them. Like mosquitoes, you know, you're driving down the road, you get mosquitoes, you get, you know, whatever, bugs at night. They still had bugs on them, even right we, bent. So we it, sh- we it wasn't like somebody took a pair of pliers and, you know, held it on each side and bent these antennas. Well, we and we should point out, Ted Phillips is, I guess, the guru of uh, landing trace cases. cases. Uh, he's been, he's compiled a catalog, I think, of about 5,000 landing trace cases, UFO landing trace cases throughout the country. And other other uh, phenomenon as well. So he he did investigate the case and and uh, he thought it was a, a a very good case, didn't he? Yes, and he also said that at one point in time the dent in the hood had residue in it. When he talked to the deputies that were on the scene after this case or after the accident, um, they had said, "Well, yeah, there was you know some yellowish or some color residue in that dent." I said, "Well, did anybody?" Swab it? Well, I mean, and these are police, right? You think they would have done it? No. <laughs> it's it's a UFO. Nobody thought about, look, you know, taking trace samples 
for UFO cases back then. Well, I know, I know this and is would a question. Help? Maybe not, but it just seems like, you know, that's automatic. Now we look for traces. We look for something that's not of this earth, right, that was left behind. Uh, yeah, and I find that in lots and lots of UFO cases. Um, they didn't repair the car then. It's still in the condition it was after the incident. Right. Yeah. Uh, they didn't. They, they took it out of service and preserved it. Uh, that seems like an awful big expense for a county to do. Yeah, I questioned that um, at the. Uh, Paracon, um, wasn't it, uh, let's see, the guy, Chad Lewis from Wisconsin that said he had an answer for that when I questioned that. Did somebody buy it and put it in the museum? Did the county, somebody came up with the money and bought the car and put it in the museum. Right after the incident? Yeah, well, apparently. Okay. They didn't, they didn't fix it. They didn't drive it after that because our, um, Police cars, our sheriff's deputy cars, are constantly in the shop. I mean, they're hitting deer all the time. So our cars are always in the shop, just being repaired and put back out on the road. So, yes, my question was, why why wasn't it repaired and put back out on the road? But for some reason, somebody somebody did see the need to preserve it. But a not private, sure who came up with the money to save it. I was going to say, it's a private citizen then. It wasn't, it, wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the Air Force that needed it for testing, or it wasn't the Condon Committee that wanted to look at it. It was some private citizen that uh, bought the car? Either that or, or the museum. It was this, this is a UFO museum? No, it's the county museum. And it actually it covers a couple of counties up there because, you know, people are few and far between up in that area of the state. And, and if we wanted to be nasty, populated area. And if we wanted to be nasty, we'd say, "Well, there's not a lot to do in northern Minnesota, especially in I the winter." I was going to say it's not like <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> well, we'll let that one slide here, where we do have a lot of things to do in <laughs> Iowa in the winter, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, I want to get this into summer. my. Par- uh, pardon me. I said, "Yeah, but this happened in August." Okay. Seventy-nine. <laughs> I'm going to say that we're going to try to get to the paranormal when we come back here after a uh, a few messages and that sort of thing. Um, if you want to take a look at more of this sort of thing, you can visit uh, Lorna's website or you can type Lorna Hunter into your your um, search engine and you can reach reach her that way and find out some more about what she has done. I will have some information at uh, my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Uh, in the next couple of days, and a link to the program if you'd like to listen to it again, and links to other programs that you might like to uh, listen to if you've missed some of that. Also, I'm going to push, um, I'm going to mention this is a book I did called Conversations, which has a paranormal theme to it that uh, since we're going to go into the paranormal, you might want to take a look at as well. But we will return right after this with Lorna Hunter of uh, Minnesota. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, 
at WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? I'm Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, and on The Secret to Everything, we will merge the practical with open investigation into all realms of the mysterious. We will talk to cutting-edge alternative health practitioners, those who inspire and motivate you in business and life, and of course, we will share stories of the paranormal, conspiracy, and cryptozoology. You will transform because of the frequency I carry, the frequencies my guests carry. Life may never be the same after you listen to this program. For the secret to everything is for you, the listener. For those who desire more in every area of their lives and believe that it can still be found. Listen and discover thesecrettoeverything.com. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 
30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an eight-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. And we have returned with Lorna Hunter from Minnesota, who does ufology and paranormal investigations. And as usual, we get locked into the UFO aspect of it and not much of the uh, paranormal. So, Lorna, give us a little bit about the paranormal stuff that you take a look at. Well, mostly ghost investigations, haunted houses, haunted buildings, um, specifically our team, the International Paranormal Society, um, those historic buildings that are probably in need of restoration, and we work to raise money for these buildings, you know, museums, whatever. Um, I am the director of the Christie Home Museum in Long Prairie, which is a house museum. Um, it was built in 1901 by Dr. George Christie. His family lived in the house until 1976 when uh, the last um, son passed away. He was also a doctor. He um, had his clinic in the house. And when they died, the family gave the house to the city to be used as a museum. Um, needless to say, uh, some of the family members and some of the maids are still hanging around in the house. So we have done investigations in the house. Um, actually, Adrian Lee wrote a complete little novella on the haunting of the house because it had uh, just about everything you could ask for except the full-bodied apparition show up. And when we had one that was close. <laughs> well, when you say a full-body apparition, what do you mean? Well, we didn't see a ghost per se, but there's the thing called the full-spectrum camera, and we have the misty outline shows up on the full-spectrum. And the full-spectrum camera means it sees outside the infrared and ultraviolet farther than our eye can see. It sees what our eye can, can't see. Uh, this is yeah, moving I mean, a little bit. Uh, is there a possibility that uh, are you interpreting these images on the film? I, I guess you're interpreting these images as ghosts or uh, apparitions. Oh, okay. Um, I am very skeptical about this stuff, and I have to be able to recreate things. You know, if I can recreate a photo, it's not. Okay, well, I can do that, so that's not a ghost. It's, that's dust, you know, you have the flash on, it's dust, whatever. So we're not talking orbs, although we have plenty of those on film. Um, Adrian Lee is a psychic, and he can see, he can see dead people, all right? I don't know how he does it. He, he's good. I'll give him that. Um, when we were touring the house, he looked down the staircase, and he said, there's somebody standing at the bottom of the stairs. I'm going to take a picture with my full-spectrum camera. And he did. And there was this mist in the shape of a person exactly where he said there would be one. But I don't know how it happens. I, I can't do it. <laughs> There's some things you got to just say, yeah, okay, you know, but go for the hard evidence, right? That, that's a maybe. Interpreting the photo, you're correct. 
Well, I was going to say, but he brought the camera. In, he brought the camera into the house, and the film was already loaded into it. So you don't know if there was some kind of double well, exposure. Digital. Digital. No, digital camera. Oh, digital. So, digital camera. Yep, so everything's digital. Yep, everything's digital nowadays. So there's no there's no loading. Oh my God! I just aged myself by immediately assuming that he had film in the camera. For crying out loud! I haven't used film in a camera in 15 <laughs> years. So this was a digital camera. At least. Yeah. Okay. I do know that digital cameras sometimes register images that really aren't there. It has to do with the camera itself and the makeup of the the, the cameras as well. Yes, the can, camera artifacts. Yes, I'm good friends with Mark D'Antonio, who is the Newfound guru for photo analyzing. He's a photo analyst for Newfound. Yes, we've had, so we've had him on the program. Closely. Yep, worked very closely with him, and uh, so, yeah, I, I know what's a good yeah. photo and what's not a good photo, what to throw out, what to keep, right? And there but are some that you just had no explanation for. But you know there are some apps that can implant a ghost image within seconds into a digital camera, and they're available all over the place. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, also know the, I also know the people I'm working with, and the reason I'm with this uh, the International Paranormal Society is because we do it right. <laughs> I trust them um, not to put ghosts in with apps. Right? But, I, but I have seen, and I, uh, the one that comes comes to mind immediately was something, uh, a program on one of the, um, like the Discovery Channel or something, where they were doing dowsing. And the guy was, mm-hmm. a, a claimed they had found a coin. He doused out a coin, uh, an old coin. Uh, he told dig here, and they found this old coin. And when they went back and looked at the footage as they were shooting this, they saw the guy actually drop the coin into the bucket of dirt so that uh, something was found. Uh, and so, I mean, there are all kinds of ways of faking this stuff, and you have to know the person you're working with. Is there anything that you can think of that, that, that would suggest they might be manipulating the data somewhat? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, seriously, not. Um, I said that's why I work with this team. I was totally skeptical of ghost hunters when I was in MUFON. I thought, seriously, ghost hunters, no way. That's the last thing that I would ever do. I would never give them any credibility until I was invited to go along with this team and they were using all the same equipment that ufologists use, the K2 meters, the uh, Mail meters, um, you name it, for recording uh, sounds, electromagnetic activity. Um, they had cameras set up, uh, hooked to the computer. They were watching the live feeds of the cameras. They were recording everything. Um, yeah, these guys do it right. No well, you said you said one thing that me. you said one thing that interests me. You said you're no longer with MUFON. Well, I'm a life member. That's about as far as it goes. Why have you stopped your activity with MUFON? I didn't like the direction they were taking. And that direction was? Well, when they started firing uh, state directors who knew what was going on and putting people in place that would give them the answers they wanted, uh, people that believe too much too easily. 
So, so MUFON has moved in a direction that suggests they're being less than objective in their UFO investigations? That's my opinion, yes. What, what brought this opinion yeah. on? I mean, was there a specific event other than firing some of the state directors? Um, well, when, they, uh, when Bigelow got involved with them was the turning point. But he he was involved for a long he he was involved a long time ago. I mean, in the mid nineteen nineties. Yeah, but he wasn't paying for investigations until two thousand nine is when they started with the Star Team investigations when Bigel actually paid to receive all the reports that came in. But didn't he buy a whole bunch of uh, abduction reports from uh, John Carpenter, who was their abduction researcher? He, I don't know about the abduction ones. He was specifically interested in anything that had uh, a propulsion, craft landings. He, wa- he wanted to know the propulsion because obviously he was trying to get uh, outer space or get back to the moon. So I, he I, wanted an inside, inside scoop on uh, anything that could give him a, a lead in the propulsion race. And when we say Bigelow, this is the uh, Las Vegas billionaire, I guess, who is... Uh, uh, attempting to kind of engineer his own his own um, space exploration, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. But that's right. the fellow, right? Yep. And and so uh, so you're just suggesting that. Well, I don't. I guess I don't understand how Bigelow is looking for specifics that would lead him um, in a direction that uh, uh, firing state. State directors would would uh, be a good plan. I mean, you'd want people who are skeptical and gathering proper data, not somebody who's just saying yes, yes, it's all extraterrestrial. Well, you think? <laughs> My point exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you still receive the um, Mufon Journal? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a life member. I'm just no longer investigating for Mufon. So I'll, so you're kind of like you're kind of like um, Jim Mosley, who always uh, bragged about being just a journal subscriber and nothing more. Right there you go. Okay, well, I I, I know we veered off here because I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of this ghost hunting stuff, but we're just we're just right up against the uh, the clock here. We really can't do that. I mean. I'm very skeptical of these ghost stories, so I'm, I'm, you know, if I put you on the spot, I'm sorry about doing that, but I just wanted to make sure we had the proper information. Uh, what is your website again, real quick? LAPIG.org. Uh, I only got part of that. Uh, like www. Um, LA Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group. So it's okay. the first letter in each of those words. And yes, that was LePig. LePig.org was done tongue-in-cheek because we know we get laughed at anyway because we're just the crazy UFO people. So. Well, thank you very much, Lorna, for taking your time to chat with us about these things. And I'm sorry I got off on the MUFON thing here at the end, but that kind of interested me, and I wanted to, to explore that. 
And as I say, we will be back uh, next week with a, with another program, and you can take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and I will have information about uh, some of the things we talked about uh, today there as well. And be sure to look at uh, some of the other programming at uh, xzbn.net, which is uh, the X-Zone Broadcast Network, for some of the other fine programs on it. And we will return in 167 hours.